We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Morning Grind here at Roto Grinders. Uh, this is not Stevie once again. This is Dean filling in for Stevie. Of course, Stevie is busy knocking out his NASCAR content. He'll be back on this podcast soon enough. Uh, that said, of course, not a lot of the major DFS sports going down these days. There is PGA, there is NASCAR, but a lot of the majors aren't in play just yet. That said, we are going to continue our uh, DFS personality showcase to you know, that we've been doing so far. We've talked to uh, most recently Lofty and Blender, Eddie Fear, Kevin Roth, Eddie Means, Head Chopper. There's a whole bunch of people on the uh, on the podcast feed and the YouTube feed as well. Uh, that said, we're going to bring in, hey, it just worked out this way back to back. We had Lafay on the you know, last week and starting here on Monday, we're going to start with Adam Shear, also from Awesome O. Shit my money, you know, on uh, the old Twitter machine. Adam, what's going on, dude? How's it going? Nice to nice to be doing some sort of a show. It's been a, a really long, long break. <laughs> Are you not? Okay, so my, I thought, isn't awesome? Aren't you guys doing like a simulation stuff or? Yeah, yeah, we, we've we still been putting out content. I just haven't personally. So I, oh, think, okay. uh, I think during quarantine, I've done a total of like a show. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because I saw you tweeting out and uh, I like to go on your Twitter machine, just kind of see what you've tweeted out the last uh, so many months or so. But I feel like at the beginning of quarantine, you said something to the effect of like, you're enjoying the break. I mean, obviously that was months ago. I'm not going to hold you to it. Maybe now you're getting giddy. Maybe now you're getting antsy and I see you're tweeting out about KBO and about golf and you have some NASCAR going tonight. So I suppose uh, maybe you've changed your mind or maybe it was just from a content perspective. And I, I guess you have some NASCAR riding right now. We're doing this on a Sunday night as NASCAR is currently in a rain delay. Uh, well, where, where are we at right now as far as a DFS, as far as content, you enjoying yourself or what? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of both. I took, I mean, the, the break from content obviously is nice. It's been a few months though, so I'm ready to get back to that. But uh, yeah, I didn't really play any DFS at all until KBO started and <laughs> So I went ahead and got back into that. I figured there was going to be an edge there, at least early on. Uh, so I, I did that, and that kind of got, I guess, got the juices flowing again. So now I'm just, like, grinding everything as of, like, two or three days ago. I, was, I went ahead and just started playing everything. How's, uh, how's KBO working out for you so far? Pretty brutal. <laughs> um, it, it started out well, but, you know, tournaments are 
top heavy and getting fourth in a couple tournaments doesn't do you any good. Uh, but I also, since I felt like there was going to be an edge early on, I, I wanted to push it and play some higher stake stuff than I normally do. And naturally on the nights that I did that, I had like the worst lineups I'd made all week. So <laughs> it put me in a little bit of a hole. So it, it hasn't been as good as I hoped it would be. How's that working out schedule-wise? Are you staying up to make KBO lineups or are you waking up early to make KBO lineups? Normally staying up. I tried to get into a routine of like going to bed at you know 10 or something and waking up to, to make lineups at 4 or 5, but normally I just end up being up until 4 or 5 and then sleeping until like 2 or 3 or whatever. During like a standard NBA slate, and you, let's say you have content that day as well. Do you have an article do or something like that? Maybe you have a show. Uh, what is your general schedule? Schedule? Uh, for NBA, normally um, shows in the morning or articles during the day, and then obviously have the show at five with Lofty um, a couple hours before lock, and then I end up staying up all night sweating games, basically regardless of how my teams are doing. So pretty, you know, pretty used to being up halfway through the night, which has made it easier for KBO, I guess. When did you uh, when did you discover DFS? I presume you were kind of a season long guy that just found DFS. You saw a commercial or something like that. I feel like I could be wrong. I feel like you weren't from all the way back in like 2011, 2012, 2013, or maybe you're somebody that was sort of under the radar. When did you start playing DFS? I, I first started in, I think, 2014. I know that's when the date is on my Rotor Grounders profile, so I assume it was around then. Uh, but yeah, I started, you know, just kind of dabbling in it then, started taking it more seriously. I guess late 2015 is when I first started really having success. It was actually my first semester of law school. I had a, a really good couple months of DFS. So that's when I really started taking it seriously and then have been doing it full-time, working in the industry full-time since 2016. Yeah. So let's, let's go back because law school was kind of curious too. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you have a, a DFS. Uh, somebody else is also involved in DFS that went to the same law school with you at the same time or similar. Uh, Siege went to, I, I went to wash. I went to Washington university in St. Louis. He went to St. Louis university. So I, I enjoy pointing out to him on Twitter that I went to the better law school. Um, but <laughs> this yeah. is like the regional manager, assistant to the regional manager. I'm so confused by all the names you just read out me. But the, you went to the, the, the definitively better law school amongst the Yeah, yeah. I, I went to, yeah, hands down, no question. I went to the better law school. Um, he, he went for three years, though. I went for one semester. Uh, and you just said, this isn't for me. Or you said, like, hey, this DFS thing is going to be a thing. So, like, why am I going to be in school the next so many years? Yeah, kind of both. Um, I did fine my first semester, but it wasn't like I, I crushed it. And I knew I kind of had my work cut out for me second semester grades wise to get to where I wanted to go. And then it coincided with me making a bunch of money in DFS. And so uh, they actually gave me a one year leave of absence and told me that I could take the year off and then come back on my scholarship if I wanted to. So it kind of was no reason for me not to to see where DFS went. And the the year that I took off was a good year. So I just been I stuck with it since. And no looking back, I presume. No, no. That's a that's what you had a a, a a scholarship for law school, which law school I imagine is very expensive. And you yeah. still said, nah, you know. Well, I guess you could use like I said, you could put it on pause for a year. So yeah, I could go really back, and, and I didn't have a full ride either. So it, it's still you know the opportunity cost and seeing how DFS went still realistically was saving me some tuition money. I thought you're from the Maryland area. Are you from Baltimore somewhere? Whereabouts? Yeah, I'm from between uh, DC and Baltimore. I live in Baltimore now. Okay. And that's born and raised basically? Yeah. Yeah. I, I lived in St. Louis for like six months for law school. And I lived in South Carolina for a year for undergrad, but other than that, uh, from Maryland. Where in South Carolina? Um, Conway, right outside Myrtle Beach. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah. So how do you, how do you grow up in, uh, in Baltimore and end up uh, as far as law school or, or law school in uh, St. Louis? How does that work out? It was ba- basically, 
honestly, my undergrad college grades sucked and my LSAT score was good. <laughs> and the way law schools work is that they basically, some of them, um, the one I went to in particular, is kind of notorious for paying for good LSAT scores. And so a lot of the good law schools I couldn't get into because of my my grades, uh, they were more interested in my LSAT. So it was pretty easily the best law school that I got into with like the best scholarship offer. Where was undergrad at? Salisbury University on the Eastern Shore, Maryland. Okay. Small D3 school. Who's like the most famous uh, graduate besides you of of Salisbury? Dan Quinn, probably the Falcons coach. Okay. There you go. It's on the board. Yeah. Uh, High school. You played baseball, right? Yeah. What was your position? Who's your comp? Were you, were you, uh, you know, were you a slugger? Were you, uh, you know, kind of an intro type? But what, what, what was your comp there? Maybe you're a pitcher. I don't know. Yeah, a uh, pitcher, shortstop, but, um, I, you know, singles, doubles hitter. So, I, so definitely somebody not def, – definitely, like, comp-wise, not anyone exciting. Um, pitching we're, wise, not, we're not rostering you in DFS. Like, you're, like, maybe a part of a stack, but, like, right, you're, not, yeah. you're not, like, an a la carte piece, like a one-off. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the guy that if he somehow ends up in your lineup, you're you're not really happy about it. <laughs> uh, p- pitching wise, I was right handed, but definitely comped more to lefties. Just a lot of breaking stuff. Do you, uh, as far as playing baseball, do you apply into the DFS? Like I know the argument a lot of people talk about is BBP and things like that, and I'm sure you saw a lot of the same players. And it's just it's your personal experience. But is that any anything that sort of factors in to how you make lineups, or it's just your experience and who cares? Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't factor it in, you know, as far as the BVP thing goes, I completely, you always see, you know, players and you see people pointing to the players saying like, Oh, I, I definitely hit this player better. And I agree that it's a thing in that you see the ball better from some players. You know, I always did. I don't know why you wouldn't, but I also have no idea how to distinguish which guys that's the case for. So that's kind of why I don't personally incorporate it into DFS too much. Um, and, you know, just having a baseball background in general, it makes me understand the sport better, but I don't necessarily even think that's a huge advantage in, in, in DFS because, you know, with all the good data out there now, if anything, I think it just kind of gives me more personal biases than I have in some other sports. When you were playing baseball in 2024 and uh, you know, 2015, as far as DFS, were you looking at BBP? Were you looking at our data that like today you look back on it and say like, wow, I was looking at the wrong stuff. You still obviously did well, but. Yeah, I looked advanced. at BBP more. Um, I, I, st- I never relied on it, but it was at least like a page that I had open when I was making lineups kind of as I would use it like as a tiebreaker if I needed to, because back then that was obviously before you had all the lineup optimizers, you had all the like publicly available projections. So for me, at least because I'm not the most uh, tech savvy person, I, I kind of didn't have an advanced projection system. It was more me kind of just going through by hand and figuring out what players I liked and why. So I, I did look at BVP a little bit more back then. Uh, now that, you know, there's access to just so many things that they give you better data. I couldn't tell you the last time I looked at it. It's mostly mostly baseball and basketball. Do you play any? I know you're playing the French stuff that now, but like your main two main sports, they go those two, correct? Yeah, those are my two. I play NFL. I don't do any content for it. Um, Last year was actually my first year really playing NFL consistently every week. Um, But baseball, basketball have always been my big two. Didn't you? I feel. Didn't you win a big contest? I should have been prepared and I should have pulled this up on the RG page because I think you won a big football contest on fantasy draft. Did you not? Yeah, I had a hundred k win on fantasy draft last season. I actually, I got fourth in their like big tournament week one. And I figured that was as close as I would come for the season. But then I took it down in, I think like week four or week six, uh, whatever the last week was that they had a hundred K to first in their big tournament. I won it. So you close it down. Was, that was it. After yeah, you. yeah. My timing was really good. <laughs> it's like, Adam won it. That's it. Or no more for anybody else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Take me through your, like, so you're, you're playing, obviously you're in grad school. 
you're, you're playing DFS, you're having some success, but at some point you realize this could be a career. This could be something I can pursue. Was it like one big hit? Was it a gradual hit? How did that work? It was kind of every couple of, it, it was a, a pretty sick run as far as I never had. Well, I won, I won my first 100K tournament a week after I quit law school. But <laughs> while I was in, I never had that. I never had like a six figure win, but I had, you know, a 15K, a 30K. I just, but, but it was like every couple of weeks for every month, I was just like getting that win. So I was running really well as far as not getting a whole lot of like fifth and sixth place finishes. I was just winning the tournament when I was up there. And so it, it kind of gave me the confidence that looking back, it was a really stupid decision as far as like thinking <laughs> that I had enough money to, you know, to, to withstand the downswings that were going to inevitably come, but uh, it all worked out. So I'm glad I took the risk, but um, yeah, it was, it was kind of just actually consistent tournament wins, which is something that obviously doesn't happen very often. Yeah, you had a first place win. I just pulled it up right now on the fly in 2015 on DK, a $3 entry on NFL. Out of- that but That's actually wrong. That didn't happen. I, I, so <laughs> so okay. I did win. That, I won a tournament that week. I didn't win that tournament. I don't, okay. know, I don't know why that's on my page. That week I won, there was like a $100 three max or something with 30K to first. Um, I won that in NFL that week but right. I didn't win whatever that $3 was. We'll get the tech guys on this and we'll <laughs> get deducted the appropriate number of points. I don't know. Uh, 5,000. I don't know if the points, the point system doesn't really, whatever. It's not yeah. worth getting into. <laughs> I'm sure your ranking will still be fine. Whatever it may or may not be. I, I, I think I'd actually pointed it out to someone at RG like years ago and I noticed it. And like, yeah, whatever. Don't worry yeah. about it. We got, <laughs> we got our things to do. We're busy. <laughs> Um, yeah. So when you, you take me through like your first hundred thousand dollar win, you're a week after, you know, I, I, you know, leaving, uh, you know, did you actually watch it live? Do you sweat it live? Are you somebody that like, doesn't like look at your currently winning? Do you look at it all the time? Uh, well, what's that like as far as a sweat? Yeah, it was actually pretty crazy because we were having a little get together at my house in St. Louis with some of my, me and my roommates, law school friends. Um, so w- one thing that was actually weird during law school was it seemed like every night that I had a big night, it was either like a night that we were all out at the bar or I was with friends. So everyone in school thought I made way more money than I did because they never <laughs> saw me lose. They just saw me have these huge nights. But so we had some friends over at the house and I had played like four entries in the 300 or $200, whatever it was, hundred K to first. And I had one lineup winning for a lot of the night and there were a ton of like Steph Curry teams coming up behind me and I didn't have Curry. So I was kind of just rooting really hard against Steph Curry. And it was one of those nights where he was just, making every shot that he took and then I look and I have a Steph Curry lineup just like flying up the leaderboard so I spent like the first half of that game actively rooting against him (laughs) and then my friends and I all watched the second half of it and uh, I ended up taking it down so it was it it was a pretty like roller coaster night going from you know thinking I'm gonna win 100k to not winning 100k to having a completely different lineup do it oh here's a brand new team that has Steph Curry all of a sudden this one's gonna make some noise it is wild how that happens for sure uh, do you like you're talking about like top heavy tournaments? Do you like that? I know some people do, some people don't. It's not for me, but I understand why people do. Um, I, I, obviously, your strategy changes if it's ten percent right. to first as opposed to like thirty percent to first. Is that something you embrace, or are you just kind of adjust the fly you play everything, or what? I prefer. I, I would prefer it if they weren't so top heavy. Um, I do think that. I know for a while, I don't actually think they've been doing it really anymore. They seem to just kind of have accepted that everything's going to be a hundred K to first or whatever. But for a while they were doing it where like three or four days a week, it would be a hundred K to first. And then like three days a week, it would be, you know, 20 K to first or whatever. I hated that because like when, when the tournaments are so top heavy, you're going to just have really, really big downswings. And by making a few of them like 20 K to first instead of a hundred, it really kind of, if you're someone that, you know, plays those tournaments every day with a lot of volume, it, 
if you win 20k it's not gonna really <laughs> do a whole lot for you it's not enough to like get you out of some of your downswings so I, I do I would prefer that all the tournaments be you know 10% to first and then just better structures but if they're not gonna do that I would prefer they just do everything top heavy it's an interesting take because like obviously nobody's gonna have any sympathy for you when you're winning 20k but like right. you're like well why am I playing my best making my best lineups in the 20k lineups up top as opposed to the 100k you know world's yeah. smallest violin's playing for you but it is kind of weird and i understand that perspective but yeah it's it's yeah. you know for people that if you're someone that's playing you know 150 lineups in these tournaments you're putting a couple thousand dollars in a night and so you have you know i've had within the last year two downswings that approached you know a hundred thousand dollars so if i'm if the night that i happen to win a tournament for 20k that's it's cool and whatever but it's not helping me out really you tell your friends that you lost hundred thousand dollars in college. Like they, they think you win every single night. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with hundred K swings? It sucks. Um, it's actually, I, I'm trying now to get myself to play more of like the three max smaller field, less exciting tournaments uh, just because the swings suck. Um, you know, yeah. obviously it's really fun when you win, but it's, you know, months of, just losing and, and coming close and not getting there. So it's something that I personally feel like has kind of started to like take a toll on me, um, you know, doing it for as long as I've done it now, it, it kind of just, the swings have, have started to hit me more. So I'm trying to get away from it and play more three max stuff. Um, but, you know, in general, I think it's just, you know, understanding that you're going to get there and you're going to win. Um, it's, it's just, you know, obviously stressful when, when you're losing. Is it trust the process and like saying it's variance and like just kind of going back and checking out how your lineups went down or what sort of mistakes you may or may not have made? And obviously that's 2020 as far as looking back on the previous night or, you know, you you like, okay, what do I need to tinker? What do I need to change? I suppose it's sort of like sports by sport and slate by slate, but I, I, maybe you start doubting yourself and that's not what you want to do necessarily because I think your process has been good, but in small samples, obviously things can go awry. Yeah. It's kind of a combination of, I want to go back and see, you know, what, I, you know, what I did differently than some other people that I respect, or at least, you know, where my exposures, one thing I'll do is, you know, I'll go and I'll look and, and there's a few players that I, I, you know, think are consistently really, really good. And so I'll see at least, you know, where my exposures were different and decide if, you know, I think I had a good reason for that or not. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's important not to just blindly say like, oh, you know, this person was on them and, and I wasn't or vice versa, I was wrong. But, you know, at least have a reason for, for what you did and, and see if it made sense. Um, but I'm also probably too quick to tinker with things, uh, you know, especially when you're talking about how variance filled tournaments like that are. Um, you know, it's I, I'm pretty quick to just say, oh, well, I, I haven't really liked how this has gone. So I make this small change. And I've had a couple times where I feel like um, I do that a few times and then I've just gotten completely away from like what I was originally doing. And I probably shouldn't have. So that's that's something that I kind of battle with a lot. You uh, you won a hundred k for the first time. Did you buy anything extravagant? Did you celebrate? Did you buy a jersey of the player that like helped you get there? Anything a exciting? Of, a lot of losing live final entries. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because I was going to ask. I don't have you have you appeared in live finals? Is that something you chase or not so much? I don't really chase them now. I did so when I when I quit law school. I had an idea that I wanted to get into the industry content wise, and my approach was to chase live finals. So, um, I, in, in 2016, I, I had a playboy baseball live final and I had three entries in the DraftKings baseball live final. Um, since then, I think I've only had, I had, uh, 
DraftKings basketball Y final last year. Um, but I, I really don't chase them that much anymore because I've gotten to where I want to, you know, want to be in the industry. And it, it kind of, to me, it was, you know, I know people, people take different approaches to get into the industry, whether it's, you know, starting their own, uh, you know, now Twitch stream or, or back then blogs or whatever. Uh, for me, the barrier to entry, I kind of felt was I wanted to get my name out there through playing and Y finals is the easiest way to do it. Uh, now that I don't really care about that, I don't chase them nearly as much. Yeah, I mean, it's a way to buy yourself some credibility. And the other thing that people don't think about, of course, obviously, it's it's ridic- we talk about top-heavy contests. It's ridiculously top-heavy. Second and third, you might get your money back or something like that. Uh, it's all like, you know, finishing first, obviously. And it's a bankroll suck, like, for sure. The other part of it is, it's like, how many people at the live finals that you're at uh, are, are losing, like, are net losers? Because that's something other people don't talk about. Like, there's probably a certain percentage of people that are at the tournament that are still losing money. Right, yeah, yeah. Um... Even for me, I mean, I I definitely lost money. Like the Playboy final, I, I did really poorly. So I lost money when you factor in all my entries into that. Um, base, the baseball one that I had three entries to, I came out ahead because I had three entries and I got lucky and qualified pretty cheap. Um, but, you know, it still wasn't like I had a huge score there. And then for the NBA one, I probably... Actually, the, the NBA one, I came out ahead, too, because I, I got lucky. I wasn't even chasing that one. Um, I was going to San Francisco as a proxy. And the night before, or for the last qualifier, I was like, if I'm going to San Francisco, I may as well just try. <laughs> and I, like, max entered a $10 and won it. So um, I awesome. guess I've, I've run good on live finals. But in general, it's definitely one of those things where I, I think that there's so, – some people kind of talk, talk badly about them, and I don't totally agree because they're not something that if you played – you know, every day that you would expect to come out ahead on. But I do think there's something to be said for making or trying to make, you know, money that's going to change your life or drastically improve your life. Um, you know, being a tournament player, that's obviously something that I believe in. It's kind of been the the main reason I played DFS too. So I, I think there is merit to that and just trying to get lucky and run good in one tournament and, and it alters everything. But yeah, it's definitely something that long-term, a lot of people are going to lose money in if that's what they're focusing on. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like when I talk to people about that, you know, uh, I asked them, I go, what's, what's your dream? Like, what's your, uh, intent? What do you want to do? Like, if you want to turn $20 into a million dollars, play the million millionaire maker. But for me, I don't want to play a contest that has 40% up top. Again, that's not my dream. I don't think I'm going to win. <laughs> right. I'm probably not going to win. You're probably not going to win either, but I hope you do. I wish you the best. Yeah. No, but- I mean, that, that's kind of like the, the whole mindset and strategy. It's something that I'm kind of dealing with myself right now because when I first started playing it was tournaments and it was you know I didn't have a lot of money I didn't have I wasn't really risking anything you know it was just like I want to create I'd like to have this this is the fastest way for me to have like a decent amount of money and then now I have it and it's like why am I still playing these things where (laughs) you know I'm losing a hundred thousand dollars over several months when I could completely change my approach and now treat it more like a grind and, and make you know just make money the grind's um, not sexy, that's why. Right, exactly. So that's something that I'm, I'm kind of battling with where, you know, I spent so many years just chasing these 100K wins and it, I'm kind of stepping back down and saying, why am I still doing this instead of, you know, a different approach? You were at the roulette table, you hit, you know, you put it all on zero or double zero, you hit it and you're, now you're still playing. Right, exactly. <laughs> when there's a game, you know, next table over that isn't really very much fun, but you're going to make money more consistently. Exactly. Uh, so I was at one of the Playboy Mansion t- tournaments as well. I was as a, a guest. I didn't qualify. It was for, for, for basketball. You were there for baseball, it sounds like. Yeah, I was uh, there for baseball. The What, what do you remember? Before, what, so. What's your takeaways from the Playboy Mansion? Definitely one of those things where I wish I'd gotten the opportunity to do it again because you're there and the time just flies. And I, I think, at least for me, and I'm, I'm sure it's the case for a lot of people the first time they go, 
it's just such a surreal experience that you don't really take it all in. Then you factor in, you know, that you're drinking all day and, and all that, which, you know, doesn't help with taking, you know, and, you know, taking everything in and, and all that. So it was one of those things where it felt like I got there and, you know, 10 minutes later I, I left, even though I was there for six hours. Yeah. Um, you know, so looking back, it, it's definitely like, oh man, I wish I had kind of just taken it in and, and uh, appreciated it a little bit more, I guess. But yeah. um, it was definitely still really, really fun. And that's the other part of it. We talked about like, what do you want? Like chasing dreams. Like when, in what other world can you like go to the Playboy Mansion? Right. Like for 10 bucks or 20 bucks or 50 bucks, whatever it is. Like that's, that's great. If that's what you want. Did you go in the grotto or not? Um, no. So no one was in it when I like, cause I went in and saw it, but like, I didn't go in. Um, I don't remember what I was doing. It's one of the <laughs> things that I regret when, when everyone like made their way over there, I was doing something else. And yeah. so I like just, I missed out on that. That's definitely one of the things that uh, I wish I had not missed. Yeah. That's a, uh, you know, again, one of those experiences you're not going to have it in any other world, basically outside of, uh, you know, being uh, one of the Hefners or something like that. I don't really know, but the good times for sure. I'm getting flashbacks to that. <laughs> uh, as far as doing content and making lineups, how do you balance those two? It's tough. I think especially it's easier with baseball than basketball because basketball, you have all the, the late news and stuff. Um, but I think that I've automated my process, my lineup building a bit more over the last year, year and a half, which has really helped me a lot. I felt like when I first started doing content, my play really took a hit because, you know, it's something we talk about a lot where, you know, especially if you're talking tournaments, obviously it's different for cash, but um, for tournaments, there's, it's a lot of, you're doing a show or you're writing an article and the people watching or reading it have different, they're, they're looking for different things. So you can't just say, you know, oh, this guy's a good play, but he's going to be overowned. Ignore him. So you spend time being like, oh, this, you know, thirty percent owned pitcher is he, he's a really good play. Blah 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 blah. And even though in tournaments there's a, an argument for for fading him, when I was making lineups more by hand, it, it leaked into my play because I would spend you know two hours talking about how someone's a good play, and then I couldn't get myself to to make that pivot that I needed to make in tournaments. Um, so I've automated stuff uh, more recently, which is has helped with my play, but that was something that I, I thought was really tough for me to balance. Um, other than that, it's kind of, you know, basketball. Sometimes you get a little bit of a time crunch if there's a bunch of news and you know, you're getting off a show at like six o'clock. Um, but I, I don't really have as much trouble balancing things anymore. Yeah. I try to like not speak in definitives, uh, but then at the same time, you're like, well, take a stand. And it's like, well, you, like you want to kind of leave, leave yourself that out of like, this is my initial plan. If right. things don't go well, when it comes down to the lineup bill, depending on how the dominoes fall, depending on who's scratched, yada, yada, yada. And then you're just sort of like, and like, God forbid you take down a tournament with hundred K with somebody you didn't recommend or somebody who said, you know what? I don't, I didn't really like this guy. You just happened to sort of land on him, which right. does happen. Oh yeah. I, I still remember I won, I won like a 30 K tournament on FanDuel in, in NBA. And I had two guys, I think I'd written an article that day. And so I had like both of my power forwards, neither one was in the article. And so, and yeah. someone called me out for it. And it was like, they were objectively terrible plays. Like they, <laughs> it, it was kind of like, it was just one of those slates where like power forward on FanDuel was terrible. Uh-huh. And so like, I just loaded up on other guys I liked and these guys were just there and happened to have monster games. But it was just like, if I had told you there was like a reason that these guys were good plays, you should never listen to me again. Um, so it, it's definitely, that's something that I guess is kind of hard from a content perspective is lineup construction is still the number one thing. It's not. Yeah. It's not just, you know, especially these days where, where projections are so much better. It's not just knowing who the good plays are. So there's there's still some nuance that is hard to communicate without, like, getting too into the weeds and people just, you know, not not really being able to follow what you're talking about. 
it's always interesting though. And it's like, people are thinking like, well, I know what you're doing. You're telling us to play one thing and you're doing the other thing. I mean, as if you, you don't move, I mean, like you're good, but you don't move the, you don't move the needle that much. Right. As big as my ego is, I don't think I move the needle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're really decimal points or something like that. But, uh, and if, if that's what you're doing. Like eventually people would catch on, like you can't stick around as long as you've stuck around. So right. you'd eventually be called out on that as well too. But, and it's that whole conversation of like, um, you know, skin in the game. Like, well, well, wait a second. You know, he's holding back his best plays because, you know, he's playing himself. Uh, and then somebody else says, well, I want them having skin in the game. And it's a sort of like, well, I want them to have a bunch of money in there because then I know they're into it or I want them to have no money into it. But then it's like, well, if they're right. not committed, they have no money behind their plays. And you're going to hear both sides of that, I'm sure. Yeah, it's ideally people want you to get rich from DFS, stop playing DFS and then teach <laughs> DFS, um, which I don't think anyone that makes a lot of money at DFS actually is, is going to stop. So, um yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting conversation. It's one thing that for, from really the time I got in, I wanted to do my best to be transparent, you know, in how I'm doing. You know, obviously, I'm not like posting my wins and losses by month or anything because uh, I don't think that's necessary. But, um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be one of those guys where it's just like, oh, I, you know, you, you only hear about it when I win. And I'm going to let you assume that I'm like winning every day. And then I'm just telling you when I win huge. Um, I think that's something that is is important. When you were in a, a bad swing, when you lost hundred thousand dollars, I'm gonna I'm just gonna assume you were just as good an analyst at the time as opposed to when you're winning hundred when, when winning hundred thousand dollars, right? Like your game, you're still good at analyzing stuff. It just didn't, you know, you didn't right. make the perfect lineup that day. Yeah, that, that's kind of how. That's what I think the, the interesting thing is. Like, if I'm someone consuming content, would I prefer it to be from someone that I know has a track record of winning? Like, yeah, absolutely. But there's also exceptions to to where you just need to look at the analysis. If the analysis yeah. is good, if what they're saying makes sense, you know, there's, there's multiple reasons people may not play a ton of money. You know, not, not everyone comes from a poker background and, and came in with, you know, a huge bankroll. Um, there's people that, you know, have other expenses and stuff. So th- there's always j- just because someone's not playing a lot of money doesn't mean you should throw away all of their advice. It's, you know, looking at their advice and, you know, kind of on the flip side for that, I, I, I obviously think that I'm good, a good analyst. I think I'm good at what I do. Um, I will admit that I probably, as I've started to spend more time on max entering stuff, I'm probably not quite as good an analyst as far as finding like one good tournament pivot, for example, as I used to be, because I just have a different process now. So I think that that's another thing too, where, you know, if you can find an analyst that is able to to communicate different things, you know, especially, I guess it's where Slack chats become um, useful too, because you can ask more specific questions, but uh, yeah. So I, I think that the whole, there, there's a lot of nuance to that conversation about, you know, having skin in the game. Uh, on that conversation, can you think of, is there one that kind of stands out like the meanest random tweet you've gotten? No, cause I probably deserve it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't usually get mean tweets for my DFS plays. I get mean tweets for things that I, I initiate on Twitter usually. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I went through your Twitter, and unfortunately, I, I only went through your actual tweets, and I go through like your interactions with a bunch of people. So, but uh, I mean, that, that leads into a fun conversation. Is uh, can you say it now definitively? Uh, is Chris Bryant is he a top twenty-five hitter in baseball? You want, you want to take a stand on this? <laughs> Absolutely, a top twenty-five hitter in baseball, and I can't believe how that entire thing played out. <laughs> he's he's ten spots below J- Justin Bohr. Is that what the? <laughs> Was Justin Moore top thirty or top thirty five? Top thirty five, I think. I don't remember which which one he was. Is he a top thirty five Japanese baseball player? Right. I don't know. <laughs> Fun conversations on Twitter. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think found... I was actually on the Siege side on that one too. No, uh, the no, Justin Boris side. Yeah, yeah. And that's fair. I mean, yeah, I, that was a yeah that that was that was a fun one for me. <laughs> Some people <laughs> probably don't know what we're talking about. Just go on the Twitter search and find our names and find Justin Boer and find Chris Bryant, top twenty five hitters. And there you go. Uh, yeah. So Siege, you uh, is he was he one of your barriers to enter as far as the industry? Did he help you get into the industry? You guys knew each other to some degree uh, at college or your I guess nearby colleges. Yeah, we just we we randomly met in St. Louis um, after right after I or I guess. I don't know if it was right after I quit or if I was still in law school or whatever. Um, but I was out at a bar and he just said, I followed him on Twitter. We were both doing actually the FCK uh, challenge. Oh the, yeah. Yeah. The, the was basketball, single entry basketball uh, competition. So we were both in that. We knew who each other were. And he sent a tweet about if anyone in the St. Louis area was out, he was trying to grab drinks somewhere. And so I just messaged him that I was at, you know, this bar and we met, hung out. Uh, I went to San Diego with him like two weeks later is this plus one for a live final. Uh, so we hung out out there for a couple of weeks and just, you know, became friends after that. That's so, do you think if he never put out that tweet? Like, I mean, who knows? It's like fork in the road and like, maybe you would have found your way in a different way, but. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that it, it definitely would have been different for me because ultimately I got into the industry. I went to, um, it was a rotor grinders meetup in St. Louis with like Shane Bernard uh, and, you know, some other guys. And so I went to that with CJ and I met Eric Bimefor, who uh, my, the first site I actually worked for was his, he had a startup site. Uh, so I worked with him and then I, and I'd met Shane at that also. So then when Fanvice launched, uh, Shane actually came up to me at the Playboy Mansion and, and, you know, talked to me about coming over. So it kind of, it all came together, you know, like a lot of things like that, where if anything had gone slightly different, like if I you know, don't meet Siege. I don't go to that RG party and meet Shane probably. If I don't qualify for the um, FanDuel or for the Playboy final, I don't know if I get that that job offer. So uh, yeah, it all kind of came together. Siege definitely played a big role as far as um, just, you know, connecting me to people. It's so weird. Uh, I'll just like one little decision that looked, seems so innocuous and so meaningless. Uh, I can kind of change the rest of your life like that. Um, I can't tell if you like Siege or if you don't like Siege on Twitter. I think <laughs> no, me, I think me, you me, like I think you like poking him. I think yeah. that, that, that's sort of like to, and you're one of the people that are willing to like go back and forth with him, which I appreciate because it takes a lot of energy to do that. Yeah, I wish I didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're all no, of us, though. You speak for all of us. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're, we're we're friends. We talk every day. Uh, <laughs> generally more uh, civil in dms than oh, that's no fun that's publicly. that that's not interesting at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was hoping to talk you want to throw some trash and uh, throw them on the bus <laughs> that kind of thing but uh we, we wanted to, you're ruining the this is like when i found out wrestling wasn't real you're ruining the gimmick for me man the, the, there's definitely some like mean dms from me to him probably like where i'm in like a losing streak and he <laughs> he has some like he has one of his like siege takes on a player and I'm just like not in the mood to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> He's just catching some trapnel basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's how that works out. And then so, what you were, I don't, why don't I remember that you were on fan vice? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I was with fan vice. Okay. And how, how was your time there? I don't recall. Like uh, was, did, were you on the boat or you were post boats? I, I, so I, I was there from the beginning. I wasn't in Miami for the launch. Um, so yeah, I was, yeah, back I, I was actually living at home back then. My mom had been sick, so I was helping her out. So I didn't go to Miami. Um, but yeah, I was there from the beginning, kind of just writing uh, articles, and then I started writing the deep dive. Started doing the the deeper dive show with Manny and Lofty. So um, yeah, it was it was good. Like I, I, you know, they gave me a chance basically to see what I could do, and then I took it and you know ran with it. So um, yeah, it was it was a good time. How long does that take you to write? Like four or five, six hours? Uh, it used to a good chunk. It, it used to. Um, I've gotten it 
narrowed down a little bit now. And it's one of those things too, that it speeds up as the season goes on because uh, you just kind of remember stuff. Like you remember stats and you don't have to look it up as, as much, but yeah, it, it takes several hours. Uh, you're talking about living. Are you, are you on your own right now? I believe you're on your own, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, at the moment I'm at my mom's because I'm, I went back there to help her out during a quarantine lockdown because uh, she's high risk. So I wanted to not have her do anything basically, but yeah, I, I live by myself in Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. I did the same thing. Were you, how long did you quarantine for your, uh, well, because I was by myself in Nashville for like three months or four months or something like that. My math. And like, who knows time is a flat circle right now. Who knows what to, right. how long it's been. It feels like it's, you know, we're in like a warp zone or something, but uh, yeah, I, I came down to Florida, which is a great idea, <laughs> but that's, that's where I'm at now too. But were you basically by yourself for three months, give or take a couple months? Um, no, no. I mean, I've, I've been at my mom's the whole time. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, which that was, that was one reason I did it too. It was like, obviously I wanted to help her out, but I was just like, okay, so she's going to be here by herself. I'm going to be in my apartment by myself and not being able to like go to bars or hang out with people. So I'm probably going to lose my mind also. So I may as well just go back home. Uh, I had Lofi, uh, I, I Lofi on last week and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm going to have Adam on uh, Give me a question to feed him. And, uh, this is what I came up with. Let's see. Uh, he wanted me to ask you about the time that you got naked on air. Oh yeah. That was, that was a good, good show. <laughs> What's the story there? <laughs> it was, it was back in the fan vice days on the deeper dive with Manny and Lofi. <laughs> Manny was on like Cole Hamels in, I think it was like a game in Texas against Oakland. And Manny's just like all over Cole Hamels and I was laughing at him and which is weird. Cause normally Manny was like the, the normal one. Like he's on like normal pitchers and I'm the one with some like insane play. He's the it was, it was, yeah. It, it was flipped on for, for whatever reason. And so I'm just making fun of him. Like Cole Hamels is terrible. He's in Texas. Like, this is stupid. And somehow we got to a bet that I had to do the show naked. If, Cole Hamels was like a top two scorer on the slate or something. Uh, I don't remember the details. <laughs> was it a he, full slate, 15 gamer? Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it, it was like a normal slate. It wasn't yeah. uh, a short slate. Um, and Ho- Hamels just goes out there and strikes out like 12 guys or something. Uh, so then, yeah, I had to do a show like the next week naked. I mean, we there was proof of this all across the board. Was that for premium? Was a <laughs> yeah. <that> <laughs> where does that cam? Where does it stop? Is there a Mason Dixon line? Yeah, I mean, I, I was sitting, you know, at my desk, so it was. You could have cheated in theory if you really wanted to. I right, suppose. right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was the really, honor system. Really, all the, the the only thing that you could really see was that you know my shoulders are bright white, and it was probably really not fun to watch. <laughs> how uh, making lineups or in your job and the whole deal? How does that affect dating? Um, it sucks. Like, I mean, <laughs> because because like obviously, when people are getting off of work, I'm busiest you know, yeah. that, those like happy hour hours. So like when I'm going out, it's normally at night where like, you know, bars are, if it's during the week, it's, you know, people have already left and they're, they're back home because they work the next day. But then you also get into the whole, just working in the industry and or, or making money this way in general, you know, people asking what you do for work. Yeah. It's like you, you either sound like you are a degenerate gambler or <laughs> like a total loser without a job, or you have to like go straight to how much money you make. And neither one is like a good situation to be in when you're trying to like make yourself look good to someone. Yeah. What was the, the guy in Step Brothers says he manages a fantasy baseball team, I believe, right. if I recall correctly. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the questions I actually ask people all the time, like, because nobody really knows how to answer that. And, you could just say like a sports analyst, I suppose, but like, yeah, it's, it's you got to gauge interest, I suppose. And right. If they want more, you give them more, but you can just stop there, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's always hard because it's like, 
that's normally one of, I guess, the natural things you would talk about is like what you do for work. So, yeah. but then it's like so difficult to explain. Um, it was really difficult during the time that I, w- I moved back home from St. Louis to help my mom out because I really was a fantasy sports player living at my mom's. <laughs> and so basement or no basement um, for a little bit in the basement. Then I found the snake <laughs> and that ended. Um, but so I, I really was, you know, even though I wasn't living there for financial reasons, I completely understood how it sounded when I told people that I was a fantasy sports player living at my mom's house. Um, so, you know, now it's at least a little bit easier living in Baltimore, but. Talk to me about your teams. Uh, Baltimore, the Orioles, terrible. Yep. Uh, is there yep. any hope here for the Orioles or what do we have? The, the farm system should be good. I mean, obviously they don't have a good track record of actually turning it into talent, but different system coming over from, from Houston. So hopefully that gets a little bit better. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that they're not taking half steps anymore. Like I feel like, my entire from the time like from 97 when they were good for like the rest of my childhood and and teenage years it was like they were just like signing random 35 year old guys to make them not the worst team in the league but also not any good so they've at least stopped doing that and seem to be embracing just rebuilding it all which I think at least gives them some upside in the next few years you got uh was it Brian Harvey's kid in the pen yeah yeah Hunter Harvey yeah, he's like the one legit arm you guys had last year, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, he was drafted as a starter, had some arm injuries, and then they turned him into a reliever, and he started throwing like 100 miles an hour. How often do you get to catch a game there in Baltimore? Not as much as I, I probably should. I think I went to – I think every game I went to last year might have been a sweet – you know, from like a – from from a drafting. So um, I, I think I went to like one game with my dad. Um, it, it's always tough because obviously like Locke is – when the game start, but I also yeah. live like 10 minutes from the stadium. So I should definitely go more than I do. How spoiled do you feel? I'm the same way. It's like, I went like the FanDuel. I went to the games in Jacksonville by the pool. Uh, of course I hit, I didn't, I wasn't out, you know, I was, I was trying to find <laughs> some shade, but uh, it's nice to know it's there. But like now it's like just sitting amongst the, the, amongst the peasants in the regular seats. Who could do that? Like, right. I'm going to, I'm going to stay home. And yeah. And it's like, I think it's almost like DraftKings figured out that I live right, like, you know, live close to the stadium. So like, they don't have to give me, a ton of advanced notice. So I think I've gotten, it feels like I get a little bit more than my share where it's probably like, you know, someone bails or whatever. And it's like, hey, Adam, you want to go? Yeah. And you're not insulted by that. It's like, yeah, let no. me know 10 minutes before the game. And yeah, if, uh, exactly. If I, if I can go, I can go. If not, not, uh, I don't know how old you are. I'm trying to think. It was like, are you, were you around for Ripken or that was before your time? I, I just turned, thir- I turned 30 in January. So like, I, I remember Ripken. Uh, I was five when he broke the record. So, I was 11 when he retired. Yeah. I used to, when Baltimore used to play in Fort Lauderdale, where I grew up, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah so I, was, I would see them. Okay, yeah, that's a terrible facility. <laughs> They've since moved on. I, I can't remember where they're at now. They're in Sarasota now. Okay, yeah. And I used to see Cal Ripken uh, would just go up and down the road signing all day long, man. Uh, just seemed like the nicest guy in the world. And just, I can't imagine this, that's his life, but he just sort of, embraced it and it's just like always i i got i mean everybody got calton's autograph back then because yeah yeah i remember i i didn't get it there because I, I, I have been to spring training there because i had family that lived in um coral springs so okay. um but the the orioles played the bay Sox in Bowie, which is where i'm from in like an exhibition game and i remember you know just it being packed with people just to get autographs and Ripken's just going up and down, just like signing for everybody so uh yeah i got it then but it, you're right it's anyone that wanted it got his autograph yeah, uh, seemed like the nicest guy, obviously. That's not, I mean, a lot of players just, and of course, they have their own time or whatever. Like, you can't expect them to 
sit there and just work uh, the lines up and back. But I, I always thought that was uh, just one thing I remember as a kid, like seeing Cowherkin just just signs for everybody. Good dude. Uh, so how, how about your favorite moment at the park? It doesn't have to be baseball, any sport, any, any like favorite at the game, like coolest thing you've ever seen participated in? Uh, so I mean, throwing out the first pitch at the Orioles game was definitely like the coolest experience for me. Um, I don't know. As far as did you dick around and like throw like a knuckleball or like a curveball or what? What's no, I, mean, I, I was nervous. I was nervous. Yeah, um, you throw a strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop, pop the glove through a strike. It, it made me more nervous too because like in my in my head, you know, from what I'd seen from some of the videos from other people that have, have thrown them out, they threw from the mound. So yeah, I'm you know prepared and whatever. And then they told me to throw from the front of the mound, and that didn't make it better because then. Like I was already you know, nervous about bouncing or whatever, but now it's like the shorter throw makes it look even worse if I bounce it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I was nervous. I was just glad to, to get the ball there in the air. Um, I was at the, I, I had um, actually through my sister's work, we were sitting front row for the Alex Smith leg injury a couple of years ago. I guess that's probably oh. the most notable thing that's happened at a game that I was at. Yeah, I mean that's uh, I mean I'm, I'm assuming you still don't catch that kind of thing live, but you probably... no, I had no idea. I mean, you saw obviously that he was hurt. Yeah, um, but you didn't really see what happened. And then I'm getting texts from my friends like, "Oh my god, that's the like worst thing I've ever seen." Um, yeah. So who did you throw the ball to? Like Weeders or something? I'm trying uh, to think. It was like Sean a backup Ar- catcher. Sean Armstrong, uh, reliever. Okay, yeah, it's like <laughs> how does he get the job of being the right. catcher? How does that work? <laughs> Armstrong, you're up today, man. You got some terrible teams in Washington. I'm just kind of doing it. Like you, you have Baltimore. Of course, the Wizards are a disaster. Uh, yep. You're talking about the, the oh man, the football team's terrible. Uh, yep. hot, well, yeah. you, you got a Mexican, he's he's good, right? Yeah, I mean that's the Capitals are excluding the Redskins when I was two. The Capitals are the only team that I like that's actually won a championship in my lifetime, um, and, and they're you know clearly my like fourth sport. But um, yeah, it's well, you won hundred uh, k playing hockey. I'm told you're a hockey expert. Is that not true? Yeah, yeah. I uh, won the biggest hockey tournament of the year. I... <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? It probably was the biggest one of the year. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that, it, was, it was like 50k to first. I don't think that they they do those very often. It was like the last day of NBA All Star break. Um, but yeah, no, I I really get screwed on the teams too because I stuck with the teams I grew up on. So I kept the Orioles over the Nationals and I kept the Redskins over the Ravens. So uh, yeah, it's not not fun being a sports fan here. Yeah, and I appreciate you not jumping back and forth because I'm sure some people jump ship. They say, "All right, that's that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go to the team that's not too far away." And wasn't yeah. there wasn't there a time where they they kind of did, they didn't want the Nationals? Was it a Baltimore that was protesting the Nationals being in the area that saying they're too close? They're going to steal some fans away. Yeah, Peter Angelos was pretty heavily uh, pretty pretty adamant about the Nats not coming. Um, so I, I really didn't. I hated the Nats when they first came because so many of my friends just jumped to the Nats, and especially when the Nats were good a few years later. Uh, so I really didn't like them. Now I've kind of come around to where, you know, they're, they're, they're whatever. I think um, DraftKings gave me tickets to every round of the playoffs last year. Oh, and nice. I got to go down on the field for BP during the World Series. So that kind of made me not a Nats fan, but at least like root for the Nats. But yeah, there's definitely like kind of some animosity there. It's a nice stadium. Candom always held up really well. At least the last yeah. time I was there. Uh, amongst all, what is it from 1990? 1992, I think it opened. Yeah, it still looks great. Yeah, 30 I, years. When, whenever I like realize how old it is, I'm always surprised. But yeah, they've done a good job, you know, kind of of updating it. They put, I don't, I don't know how long ago you went, but they put a bar in in center field now, um, like up above the uh, batter's eye. Uh, yeah, I was there maybe like eight, ten years ago. So oh, okay. I don't, I don't yeah. think I. I think yeah, I they didn't have it. That. They didn't have it then, but now they have like a standing room 
area up there, but like it's you know a bar with a bunch of TVs and stuff. So it, it kind of it's similar to what the Nats have in center field, I guess. They got Boog Powell still on the right field. Is that yeah, yeah, out, yeah, out on uh, Utah Street. There you go. Uh, do you have a hot like uh, crab cake steak? I like all crab cakes pretty much. <laughs> it, it, it's it's one of those foods where like <laughs> if they're not good crab cakes, I'm still happy. But like yeah. they are good crab cakes. The best crab cakes I've had was actually in the sweet one of the sweets at the Orioles game. No idea where they came from. Um, I'm I have an idea. It probably came from a place that's really like well known in Baltimore for their crab cakes that I still haven't gone to. Um, but it was easily the best crab cake I've ever had. I just don't know where it came from. I just remember walking to the game in Baltimore and there was people like outside selling crab cakes. And I was like, this is different. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I understand that that's a thing, but like you guys totally lived up to that stereotype. It's like nowhere else that I'm aware of sells crab. Cake. Like, you know, like random people like selling bottles of water, like things yeah. like that. Like, yeah. Here's a crab cake. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you, it's, trust, it's, you it's, trust that crab cake? Right. <laughs> it's definitely a, definitely a Maryland thing too. And you'll, you'll hear it. Like if people go to, if you're at like a bar or a restaurant and people will be like, how are your crab cakes? The answer is normally like, well, if you're from out of town, our crab cakes are good. Uh-huh. If you're not from out of town, go to this other place. You'll like them better. Uh, the Wizards, Bradley Beal, is he going to be there in two years or is he going to be like a Laker or a Clipper or something? I like think that? he'll be there. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not good on uh, cap stuff. Yeah. Um, but it seems like he wants to be. He he wants them, I think, to put him in a position to win, obviously. Um, but I think that at least – it at least doesn't strike me as like a Manny Machado – situation where no matter what they do he's walking out the door do you uh they're, they're starting up they have a chance theoretically to make the playoffs <laughs> and I, i've had these conversations before about tanking and just like i mean not that they have to tank but are you are you rooting actively rooting for washington to make the eight spot there in the, the east i don't care as much now that Bertons is sitting out i yeah. wanted them to make the eight seed before because for one they're not gonna fall far enough to get you know a, a great pick one way or the other but yeah. I, I, I thought I'd said all season long, and I thought I mean, obviously they would lose to Milwaukee, and you know, but what? But I thought they would at least be like a dangerous eight seed because their offense was really, really good. It's just they they don't play defense, but they play fast. They up the variance basically, and you know, you have Beal who's a great scorer, and you had Bertans who's a lights out shooter, and they, they can outscore you for a couple of games at least. Um, not having Bertans, I think, will have a negative enough impact where now if they make the eight seed, it's just going to be them getting annihilated for four games, and they probably won't even be fun to watch. Is somebody going to throw a ton of money at Bertans? 27-year-old Bertans, he's got two ACLs. I would uh, think so. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I would think he gets a pretty big deal just because he's such a good shooter. And, you know, he, he kind of – this year I think was the first year he got to show that he could actually play and not yeah. just, you know, be a you know spot-up guy off the bench basically. You know, like so, I know some of the advanced metrics, which I'm not super – great with uh for for basketball but i know some of them showed you know really just how good he was with the spurs and that he was underappreciated and then he got the bigger role with washington where he showed that uh, he could you know really do a lot so uh, i think he'll get a big deal somewhere it's i don't think he'll end up back with the wizards for that reason yeah i don't know the advanced metrics on bryant either is bryant just like you know the train thomas bryant is he just a good dfs player or is he like a decent basketball player i have no idea i think he's a good offensive player i yeah he's a terrible defensive player from everything <laughs> that, that I can tell uh, as are most of the wizards. But um, yeah, I mean, offensively, I think he's exciting. Like he's, he's someone that I'm glad they have. It, it, they, they got him for basically nothing from the Lakers. So uh, yeah, him and him and Wagner, both it's guys that they kind of just got because the Lakers needed to get rid of guys. Um, yeah. 
and yeah, I think that they're both exciting offensively. Um, both, you know, works in progress from a defensive standpoint, but with the way the wizards are at least playing now or the style of play, it's not really that big of a deal because they're just trying to outscore everyone anyway. Are we bullish on Rui? On who? Oh, Rui oh, oh Rui. yeah. Um, I, I like him. I was pleasantly surprised. I don't follow college all that closely. So I didn't really have an opinion on him when he was drafted other than what I read, which I think for most places was that it was kind of a weird pick, but he's impressed me when, when he's played. Yeah. I know nothing about college basketball. I, yeah. I can't name five college basketball players. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> whenever, just... <laughs> yeah. Whenever the draft comes, it's just like, like I knew Zion, I knew John Moran. I actually got uh, made fun of on Twitter because there was, when Zion was at Duke, there was like a, a highlight where he just had a ridiculous block of someone's three pointer. And it wasn't like it was a close up. you know, yeah. I, I couldn't even tell what teams were playing. Um, but I just tweeted and it was like, who is this? And it was Zion. <laughs> and so then I just got, you know, so much stuff like, that was one of the you, you asked earlier about like the meanest things people have said. Nobody, I don't think, was really mean, but that yeah. was one of the more like normally I don't really care what people say to me on Twitter, but that was one of the more annoying times because there were people actually like coming at me like your job's to talk about the NBA and you didn't know this was Zion. It's just like, yeah, this guy plays for Duke and it's daily fantasy sports. He's not playing, he's not playing BFS right. today. Like, right. I'll, I'll know about it that day, the day, he's right? Playing. Exactly. Like, I'll, I'll have, I'll know who Zion is when Zion is playing in the NBA. That's all that matters. Who wins the title this year? I had a bet uh, actually with Big T on the Clippers over the Lakers. Um, and, you know, assuming that they would, whoever wins the West would win. But um, I, it, obviously it'll, there, there's like so much more variance now. Cause like if someone gets sick, it changes everything. Sure. Um, but I, I would, I still think it's the Clippers or the Bucks. I, I'm not as high on the Lakers as some others are. Yeah, I was looking at the DK Sportsbook on the odds, and the Lakers are like plus 240, and the Clippers are like plus 330. And I'm like, I see them basically as the same. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but that, that's what it sounds like you're at too. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things I liked about the Clippers was how deep they are. Obviously, the mm-hmm. counter argument is that in the playoffs, everyone just plays 42 minutes or whatever, so it doesn't matter as much. Um, losing Bradley, I think, has a negative impact. Um, but. J.R. Smith. They got J.R. Smith back. Is that officially happening? I I, that's what I was reading about. I ha- I actually did see that now that you mentioned it. I forgot. Get excited. Yeah. And, and Noah signed today. Uh, With Noah the Clippers, signed yeah. for the Clippers. So, yeah, it's, yeah go ahead. Continue. Um, but, no, I mean, I, I really, really like the Clippers. Like, he, I, I think that they're just such a good team defensively and offensively. Um, so, I give them the edge over the Lakers. And then, obviously, I'm a huge Giannis fan. Um, so, but I, I, think, I was told he can't shoot. Is that not a problem? <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's too much of a problem. Um, <laughs> but it, I love it's, speaking. It, it's actually. Team. It's funny that I like that. That's one of those arguments where I find it funny that I'm on the side that I'm on because I'm very, very, very biased towards shooters. But I think Giannis is just like amazing. Um, like I'm willing to overlook it for for him. But yeah. normally I'm on the side of like if you can't shoot, you're terrible. And he's still like I don't know like 29 percent from three, give or take. It's not right. the worst. Yeah, like, he's not, you know, he 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 airballs one. Well, the, the, and the thing is, like, it's really bad when you consider how wide open those shots normally are. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like he's 29% on contested threes. Um, yeah, but, like, Jokic is, like, 33-34. This is off the dome, right. like, more or less. And, like, nobody looks at Jokic and says, that guy's terrible at threes. Right. But you're right, as far as contested and uncontested matters, too. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, – it, 
I feel like like he's not a good shooter, but you get, especially if it's people that are looking for a reason for why he's not very good, you get the optics of like the Christmas day game against Philly where they just put four guys in the paint like <laughs> behind the free throw line and Giannis just like misses three straight three pointers. Um, but, you know, yeah, obviously would he be better if he could shoot? Like, yeah, he would be absolutely unstoppable, but he's such a good passer and, you know, obviously he's, he's phenomenal uh, in the paint. So I, I still just don't understand how people don't think he's amazing. It is the weirdest thing. He, he's just absolutely incredible. And, like, yeah, I, I get he's on a great jump shirt. He still might kind of sort of get there to some degree or get good enough. Yeah. But it's just odd how people just hate him for that. Uh, some of your favorites, uh, favorite athlete growing up, favorite athlete today? Uh, favorite athlete growing up, I guess, like, to some extent was Ripken. But that was more from, like, I guess a, uh, um, you know, it's Cal Ripken. So, like, obviously he, he was, you know, kind of godlike. But um, Griffey was was probably my favorite uh, baseball player. Um, now, you know, Trout, obviously, just kind of in awe. Um, yeah. Griffey, uh, gr- best best dance, best swing of all time? Yeah, just best. Like, I, I wish, you know, he had stayed healthy, obviously. But, um, yeah. yeah, just he, he's the one that, you know, I remember – I, I was never a Mariners fan, but I was a, you know, a Griffey fan. And it's, it's like, he's the first one where if you like mention his name or show me a highlight of him, like all the nostalgia comes back from, you know, being a kid because like, I just love watching Griffey so much. Yeah. It's weird. Like, in like, I don't want to say his career certainly wasn't disappointing, but you still ask the question, look at all his numbers and you still ask the question, like, what if, right. What if this guy gets, it was healthy and his numbers are still good and they could have been so much better. Yeah. Like uh, even, you know, looking back, I, I, you and I had actually talked about it on Twitter. I think um, the Sporkle sports quizzes and doing some of those has brought up, you know, where you know, I, I realize you'll kind of look at what Griffey's career numbers were. And it makes me go back and just be like, man, like I remember him being hurt for so long and these mm-hmm. were still his numbers. Yeah. With A-Rod and Randy Johnson and Edgar Martinez. And I don't yeah. know if Jay Buhner was in those teams yeah, as well too. Jay Buhner. Um, some fun yeah. Mariners teams back in the day for sure. Uh how much – Jeffrey Mayer? How much do you hate Jeffrey Mayer? That's that, that's the, like, the worst sporting experience. Like, I was six. <laughs> I was six. And it still, like, is ingrained in my head. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because I was going to ask you, how old do you think Jeffrey Mayer is? And you know, because he's 36. He just did the bat. Right. Yeah, he's, and, he's six years older than I was. And Jeffrey Mayer, of course, is the guy that stole the homer. And Jeter got a home run in air quotes if you're not seeing me. Uh, and, you know, in uh, game one against the Yankees, Tarasco went nuts in the outfield, in the outfield. And I guess that was, it's all said and done for Baltimore against the Yankees. Yeah. And that was, and obviously I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but like the Orioles, I guess were like supposed to go further that year than they did, you know, looking back through the lens of how bad the Orioles were most of my life, I'd always kind of viewed it as like, Oh, the Orioles were actually in the playoffs, but like they were actually supposed to do well. Um, and so, yeah, it, it kind of ended it for them. It jump-started Jeter's, you know, legacy, I guess. <laughs> As the greatest baseball player of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bonds, Hall of Famer? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I saw you tweeting about, I guess you were watching the McGuire Sosa documentary, the 30 for 30. Um, those guys are Hall of Famers for you as well. It's, it, I can't remember your exact tweet, but I had it in front of me somewhere. And yeah, you're, anybody who uh, believes they should not be in the Hall of Fame, you call them boomers, basically. Yeah, it's... I don't think there's any question that they should be, you know, I understand that they use steroids or whatever, but like the entire era did. And, you know, yeah, some people didn't, but you're, in my opinion, at least 
you're judged by how you did against players of your era. And those guys were clearly the best. Then when you look at it from the broader standpoint of what it did for the game, um, you know, baseball, obviously from this point forward, we'll see how it's affected, but up to this point from, you know, the mid nineties to now baseball, isn't where it was nearly as quickly. um, If you don't have that, you know, you don't have those guys doing that. So, you know, I think that it's just not to, to me, not as big and not as big a deal as it is for a lot of people. And I think that, um, it's also one of those things where it doesn't make you like it, it, make, it makes you better as far as you know power and everything goes but it's not like these guys would have been bad baseball players if they weren't taking steroids like Barry Bonds would have been a different kind of player he wouldn't have hit 73 home runs but th- they were still great players and that's kind of just what it was at the time so I don't really get the argument at all for them not being in the whole thing. Yeah, every once in a while I go on like baseball, uh, you know, any any of the baseball sites and just kind of go fan graphs and just look at Bonds' year in like 2000, what, 2001, 2002. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Just completely ridiculous. The numbers, it's just off the charts. And Well, and that's one of those, like, I was I was 11, so I didn't appreciate park factors yet, but yes. he was doing that in Oracle. <laughs> that's the other part of it, is that like one could argue, I think, if you're going to say steroids gave him this unfair advantage, you could say it balanced out the fact that he plays his home games in San Francisco. Right, I, yeah. You could probably make that argument if you want to. And also, like you said, hey, the pitcher's on steroids. If they're both on steroids, does that make it fair? <laughs> right. It, it, like, the, to me, if you're going to argue that guys shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because of steroids, the only way that that really would be an argument is if, like, the Hall of Fame was just chosen by, like, all players who had ever played being on the ballot and you can only vote for, like, 15 or whatever. Yeah. Like, then you can make an argument where it's like, okay, well, this guy was on steroids and this guy in 1980 or whatever, like, Mike Schmidt wasn't, you know, whatever. But – like they don't have any impact on each other. Those guys are already in. Why wouldn't the guys who were the best when they were all taking steroids be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, it is a weird thing. And I, and I feel like that's going to happen. Like eventually they're, they're going to get in at some point. I think people are going to be more and more open to that. And uh, it's a, hand-eye coordination is not a steroid thing. You either have right. it or you don't. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's 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 kind of an odd thing. And, you know, I know also it doesn't help that like Bonds doesn't consider to be a likable guy for whatever reason. Uh, McGuire is just kind of boring, I guess. Sosa seemed kind of fun and, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I eventually, I eventually think all those guys are going to be let in. And of course there's a lot of bad dudes in the hall of fame too. Right. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's really weird to me that like, that is the like moral thing. Like that's the worst thing anyone could do in, in people's opinions. It's, it's really weird. Uh, I don't think you're much of a TV or movie guy. Do you, do you have a favorite movie of all time? Something kind of jumps out for you. Uh, favorite movie is Goodwill hunting. Um, ah, excellent. Good yeah. choice. But yeah, not not a big movie guy. Just never really got into them as a kid, and it's I don't know. I'm, I'm weird too because like now I struggle with movies like from an attention span standpoint. You know, I, I just have trouble sitting there for two hours watching. But at the same time, I can watch a TV show on Netflix. You know, started at noon and then it's midnight and I'm still watching it. Like so, it, keep it's asking weird. you. You still watching? Yes, I'm still. I've got right, nothing yeah. else to do. What do you want from me? Right, but it's like I need that like reset at 30 minutes or 45 minutes. You know, however long the episode is, it's like I need that reset to like start over. Whereas with a movie, I just like zone out. It's interesting you say go hunting because I was thinking Rounders kind of sort of mimics your life to some degree. Yeah, Ra- Rounders is another one of my favorite movies. Um, Ed Norton in general, I really like. Not that I've seen a lot of Ed Norton movies, obviously, but all Ed Norton movies that I have seen, I really liked him. <laughs> yeah, he's always solid. Uh, Fight Club, I'm sure you've seen. Have not, actually. Oh, God, we have to. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's one of the ones where it's just like I never saw it and – now it's almost more fun for me not to see it than to see it. <laughs> I'm going to send you an angry tweet about, about not seeing Fight Club. Well, what, what show are you watching from noon to midnight on Netflix? 
Uh, so right now it's I'm not even watching anything like particularly good. Kind of took a break from from those. I'm <laughs> watching like Chuck from 2007 or whatever, which I, I really liked Psych and Chuck kind of reminds me of Psych. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of been one of those where like it's entertaining enough and I don't really have to follow it that closely because the storyline is not really that good. So um, yeah, I've been watching that. But um, over I'm also rewatching The Wire because I watched that for the first time within the last like nine or ten months. Um, but since I've been home, I got my mom to start watching it. So we've been watching that. So I'm kind of watching Chuck on my own and then rewatching The Wire. Your mom's like, I'm, she draws the line at Chuck. Like, I'm not watching Chuck with you. It's not, <laughs> it's not happening. I, that was like an NBC show that had yeah, like, yeah, three it was, or four it was, years or something. I, yeah, I, I it was NBC. I he was on for like five years. He's okay. like, he's he works at like a supermarket and ends up becoming a spy because like someone sends him a file that basically like <laughs> he opens his email and he just learns all this stuff basically. And yeah. Loved, yeah. It, I, I saw you tweeting about show. it and I was like, Chuck, I'm like, I, I was like, I was fairly certain. I'm like, is that the TV show? And I guess that's what it is. And you, you were, you tweet a lot about uh, Ray Donovan. Is, are you still watching that or are you done? No, with f- finish that. Um, that was good enough. You know, it was, it was another one of the shows where like, I didn't think it was a great show. Like, obviously it's not, I, I didn't feel the same watching it as I did when like I watched the wire or the Sopranos or something, but um, it was entertaining enough. You know, I enjoyed watching it. If, um, you know, I was kind of half paying attention. Like it didn't matter all that much. Usually when I, when I commit to a show, I say, I'm going to watch this show. I'm like one, one season in and I, I like it. I'm like pocket committed forever. I'm going to watch you yeah. from beginning to end. That's that. That's um, kind of where I'm at with Chuck right now. Well, the rare exception for me, uh, Ray Donovan, I said, that's it. I'm out. I tapped out at like season four or season five. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen Dexter, but like I would have yeah, been yeah, yeah, fine tapping out. Yeah, it's a great show, but like after the John Lithgow season, it just kind of like right. you know progressively gets you know we get to the lumberjack scene at some point. Spoilers yeah. out there, but uh, I mean, did you like the last few seasons? They're watchable, but like it's obviously not yeah. I mean, they're they're watchable. Um, I'm really bad too about remembering shows like after I've watched them. So I, I think I, I don't really remember details from the last you know four seasons of Dexter, but I guess that kind of speaks to the fact that I remember season four very very well. Yeah. And then everything after that, I kind of just don't. Um, I actually had gotten, uh, I don't know if she was my girlfriend at the time or ex-girlfriend, but I got her to watch it. And I was basically just like, you have to watch the first four seasons. After that, if you don't want to, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny how people are with every, everybody's telling you what you have to watch. And it's like, there's so many options out there. Yeah. Uh, you got to watch this. You got to watch that. I, mean, you have a whole li- I have a whole list of things. And like, I still can't get to everything. You said you're rewatching The Wire. Is that... I mean, is there is there places you recognize from uh, you know growing up? Uh, not not from growing up, but from living there now. Um, yeah, there's actually the um, the strip club that they use as a front in the first couple of seasons. Orlando's is a block and a half from my apartment on my street. Yeah, um, and where uh, Stringer Bell's like co- uh, copy shop is that he starts as like the legitimate business or whatever um that is also on my street there's a there's a scene where they walk out and like look to the right and it's very obvious that it's my street <laughs> that's pretty cool um so you took a shot i'm gonna say take a shot but you basically sent out a tweet implying that you don't like skylar skylar white from breaking bad um everybody dislike. why does everybody hate skylar she's generally right like she's generally she generally has a good point but why do we all hate her I I actually kind of thought about that more because I, I think if I remember correctly, when I said something about Skylar White, it was because someone had tweeted basically that if you don't like Skylar White, you're like sexist or something like that. Okay. And 
so I kind of thought about it more. And, and as I've watched different shows, it's, and I, I find that I do very often dislike the like wife figure in, in the shows, yeah. but I don't think it's a sexism thing. I think it's that I tend to like the, I guess, antagonist. Like I liked Dexter. I liked Walter White. I yeah. liked Ray Donovan. Um, you room for the back, Tony Soprano. Right. Yeah, I like Tony Soprano. So I hated all of their wives because like I'm watching it kind of being like, shut up. Like he needs to do this to make his illegitimate money, basically. <laughs> and Let him like, be a terrible you... person. Right. Just leave him alone. Right. Why, why do you care that your husband's like a, uh, an awful person? Um, you know, just leave, yeah, leave it alone. So um, I, I kind of realized as I thought about it more, yeah, it's not, to me, it's, it's not a sexism thing, but it's a uh, just per, preferring the bad people thing. I think I have the ex- the potential exception to the rule because I thought it was interesting. Uh, Vince Gilligan created both Better Call Saul and he created Breaking Bad. And uh, I, you could argue that like he created one of the more unlikable characters in Skylar White, but Kim Wexler, you can't say anything about Kim Wexler. She's delightful. She's like the nicest. She's like, you know, is she not, I mean, you don't dislike him. You watch Better no. Call Saul, I presume, or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have seen Better Call Saul. I, I like Kim, but I will say that there were a couple of times kind of in the lead up to where they're at right now where I came very close to disliking her for the same reasons, just like where it was just like, <laughs> like stop getting in Saul's way, basically. <laughs> Enough of your reason and logic. Right. <laughs> Let's let the shenanigans go down for sure, I suppose. Uh, do you have a favorite, uh, not a favorite, do you have like a random celebrity encounter? Um, no, I mean, yeah, actually not really at all. Like the... um at the the not fan including goal. siege that see does siege i'm a higher i'm a higher level in siege not yeah higher level in siege yeah no i mean uh being in i guess vip with uh flow rider after the yacht final the yacht playboy final for FanDuel last year i guess is is kind of the closest but like i didn't really interact with him um so like i was there we were in his club and he was at the table with us but <laughs> you still rocking out to smashing pumpkins as, as of two days ago uh, that, that lasted a couple of days. Now I'm, I'm on to like a broader, just like nineties rockets. <laughs> yeah. I, I was seeing your tweets and, uh, Eminem was your guy back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have like lineup music? Do you have like to play like, you know, kind of like building lineup music that in the background, is that something you have? Yeah. I mean, I, I always have music on in the background, but I, I kind of bounce around like genres normally just on like Spotify, which I now use over Pandora. Finally, that was something that took me a really long time to come around to. Um, but yeah, just using, you know, one of those and just going to whatever, you know, playlist or, or something, but normally bouncing around between like classic rock, rap, country, and then like back. What, what's the biggest misconception on you, Adam? Is there, is there a mis- is there, is there an assumption people have about you in Twitter or whatever? Or is there something you want to clear the air on? Is there any sort of <laughs> stereotype that might be wrong or is it all correct? You were saying before, eh, if somebody's tweeting at you something mean, they're, they're probably justified. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't care to clear it up that I'm not like, <laughs> I think people probably um, would feel a lot of people probably feel different about me differently about me if they actually like know me in person than uh, just follow me on Twitter. But it's not something that I really care about clearing up because I enjoy it and I I kind of do it intentionally. Your Twitter game has been I was going through your tweets. It's been phenomenal. Like I I feel like it's gone up incrementally. Is this like a a conscious choice or just more aware of it now or you're like embracing maybe more snarky? Just that's going on. I, I think back like. 2016 or 2017 uh dc made some joke at my expense about how bad i was at twitter and ever since then i just like <laughs> had to get better <laughs> he motivated you it worked yeah. <laughs> i need dc to yell at me about my twitter game because mine's been slacking for sure um wow that's 
Well, I, I've kept you long enough. Uh, I've kept you about an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes or so, give or take. I appreciate your time. Uh, anything else you want to say, feel free to throw it out there. But uh, otherwise, tell the people where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find you on the interwebs and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It was, it was a good time. But uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at ShipMyMoneyDFS and doing DFS content um, at Osmo.com for NBA and MLB. That was Adam Shear, a.k.a. Ship My Money on Twitter. I was Dean. This was The Morning Grind. Thanks for listening. We're out of here. Holler. Mm-hmm.